If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 31. We're going to read 1 Samuel 31 and then 2 Samuel chapter 1. So if you could open up your Bibles or your phones and let's read God's Word together and enjoy reading it. We're in the midst of our series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. And it's been wonderful, church, going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Now we're in First and Second Samuel, loving this with you, and loving seeing Christ in the Old Testament together with you. I can't wait for many more sightings of Christ, and looking forward to some to some today. So let's read uh, God's Word in First Samuel, chapter thirty-one, beginning in verse one. Read with me. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died and his three sons. and his armor-bearer, and all his men on the same day together. Oh, how tragic. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and buried them there. Reminds me of the kind of men we have here at Christ Community. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. 2 Samuel 1. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and paid homage. David said to him, Where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did it go? Tell me. And he answered, The people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and his son Jonathan are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? And the young man who told him said, By chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and there was Saul 
leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were close upon him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me, for anguish has seized me, and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner and a Malachite. David said to him, how is it you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And then David called one of the young men and said, Go execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, Your blood be on your own head, for your own mouth is testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son, and he said it should be taught by the people of Judah, taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jashar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. After this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. The title of the message this morning is David's Godly Response to the death of Saul. David's godly response to the death of Saul. Let's pray together. Oh, Almighty God, we pray this morning, on this beautiful Sunday morning, that You would touch our hearts with Your Word. Oh, Holy Spirit, we pray You would come and anoint the preaching of Your Word with power and with unction and drive it deep down in our souls so that we would be transformed by it. Lord, we've come here today to worship You. We thank You for our love for one another. We thank You for our brothers and sisters. And we thank You for our friends. 
But Lord God, ultimately, we are here to go upward and to praise You and to worship You because You are worthy of worship and honor. And Your Word is what we need this morning. And so, would You please feed us with Your Word and strengthen us for the fight. Thank You so much, Jesus, for laying down Your life for us. Would You deepen our faith and strengthen it so that we would bring glory to Your name even more. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, we're going to look at three points this morning. Number one, Saul's life was precious to David. Saul's life was precious to David. Secondly, Saul's death was painful to David. Saul's death was painful to David. And thirdly, David waited on God's timing to become king. David waited on God's timing to become king. What does it mean to be a a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart as David is described in 1 Samuel by the Lord? We can look up and come up with a short definition of this and no doubt we could together come up with one that would be satisfactory. But the Scriptures give us, fortunately, a more comprehensive picture of what that looks like in the day-to-day life through the many chapters of Scripture that we have here. First and Second Samuel are a unit together. And within this book, we see the dawning of the line leading to the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. The kingly line of Christ begins here with King David. And I love the last verse we read where it says that they anointed David king over the house of Judah. The Lion of Judah would arise up from this line of kings. The Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, who would lay down His life for us and rise from the dead for us to redeem us and bring us salvation, to bring us to God. We have seen many evidences of how David has been a man after God's own heart over the course of this last number of weeks. He courageously fought against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Goliath who opposed God's people, showing the heart David did, of a shepherd warrior displaying that he, unlike the other men of Israel, that he would protect God's people by slaying Satan's representative, Goliath. And we saw also David's faithful and inspiring friendship to Jonathan. We saw last week the way that David trusted in God while in the cave of Adullam as a fugitive. And how David entrusted himself to God while he was fleeing for his life for four years from Saul. And yet God gave his enemy Saul into his hand twice. And yet David also did not take matters into his own hand by killing Saul. Did not avenge himself, but instead entrusted the judgment of Saul and the vindication of himself to God. David strengthened himself in God as we learned in verse chapter 26, when he was brought so low, when his wives and children, along with those of his men, were plundered and taken away by the Amalekites, away from Ziklag. Even when he was brought to one of his lowest points in his life, David was able to arise and find strength in his God. To rise up, And they go and defeat the Amalekites and win back his imprisoned people. 
Does that remind you of somebody? Winning back, redeeming his imprisoned people. And winning spoil by defeating and crushing the Amalekites. And spoil and blessing that he delivers actually to the people of Judah. Showing the glorious blessings of the bounty of the gospel. The victorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ is displayed through David's character. The victory of Christ is displayed in David's victories. And all these things point to our glorious and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect warrior, shepherd, king. Saul was Israel's choice for king. Man's choice for king. But David is God's choice of king. A man after his own heart who fights for God, trusts in God, entrusts himself to God, and when knocked down, strengthens himself in God to rise up and defeat the enemies of God. And here in these chapters that we just read this morning to open, we see another side of David. Saul and Jonathan die in battle on Mount Gilboa. Just so you understand the context, the year is 1010 B.C. Here is a map to help you get a sense of it. So we could just put the maps up. Actually, this is great. This is a picture of Mount Gilboa. Here's the valley where they fought against the Philistines where uh, right prior to Saul and Jonathan and his other sons died. This is called the shoulder of Saul. This is a, a, the proximity, they believe, where Saul may have died. If you could put the other uh, picture and map up. So you won't be able to read the writing here. But here is about where Saul lost his life. Here is the mountain from a different angle. Here's the valley from a different angle. Over here is uh, where Saul consulted the witch of Endor the night before the battle and was told he was going to die. Um, if you look over here, the Philistines, they took Saul and his son's bodies where they beheaded them and they, they hung them up to kind of humiliate them. And that's when the men of Jabesh Gilead came and said, no, we're not having that. We're going to take these men down and bring them back to Israel and mourn them the way they deserve to be mourned. So here's the Israelite camp. Over here is where the Philistines camped. Had a beautiful picture though of the uh, the Valley of Jezreel and the uh, Mount Gilboa. If you could put up the map just to show in proximity where this is um, in relation to uh, all of Israel. Down here is Judah in the south. You got Jerusalem down and around this area. Um, the battle though was up in the north. Mount Gilboa was up up here, about just a little bit away from the Sea of Galilee. You got about a distance about ninety miles from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. So. Mount Gilboa was here. This is where the battle took place. Here is Bethshan, where they hung the bodies of Saul, the Philistines did. And Jabesh Gilead, these were the men across the river who crossed over, took the bodies, and brought them back over. David later really blesses the men of Jabesh Gilead for their courageous act. They went all night to go and take down their bodies. Here's Endor. Here's the valley. And here's where the Philistines dwelt. David, during the time of this battle, is all the way down here in the town of Ziklag, southern part of the Philistine domain. The, the territory of the Philistines swung out like this. And so he's actually in Philistine territory, still fleeing for his life from Saul. 
And that'll help give you just a little bit of perspective as we're kind of looking at the text this morning. Um, I love showing you these pictures. I love showing you the maps. And Josh Clearo, thank you for this laser pointer. I, I just feel... I just feel so good with this laser pointer in my hands. So I, I just got to tell you that. So, Well, the deaths of Saul and Jonathan and his brothers uh, brought with it a real consequence of relief, really, for David. Because he had been fleeing for his life for the last four years, as I mentioned before. It also opened up the door to God's promise of David becoming king, becoming a reality finally. You gotta understand, this is about 15 years since he was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. It's estimated that he was about 15 or 16 years old, potentially, David, when he was anointed king by Samuel the prophet. So we've got about 2025, he's anointed king, or I'm sorry, 1025, and now we're at 1010 BC where this battle takes place at Gilboa and David. It all happens in one year. This section that I just read happens within one year where David's finally anointed king in Judah. But the promise is about ready to become reality. And so you expect that David may have expressed relief for when he gets the news that his enemy, King Saul, is finally dead, he's going to fist bump the guys around him and say, hey, listen, man, isn't this great? This is what we've wanted, but... You don't see that spirit in this man. You see something different in him. And it's instructive to us, church. It's instructive to us because we see the character of Christ in this man after God's own heart. And this description of him and how he responds to the death of Saul is very, very helpful and applicable to our lives and our Christian lives. This is vital for application into our own souls. It's also vital for our discipleship to enter into the example that we see here of Christ-like righteousness and to follow it ourselves. Saul's life was precious to David. There was no gloating. There's no eye on the main chance. But just a godly response to the news of Saul and Jonathan's death. A godly lament, which we'll get into in a moment for their death. And then a godly waiting on the Lord for God to raise him up in his timing to become king. In uh, 1 Samuel 26, verses 21 and 24, we read that Saul said to David when David had his, his life in his hands and, and, and David let him go, Saul says to David, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Saul said of David, you regarded my life as precious. Behold, I've acted foolishly, Saul says, and I've made a great mistake. And David says to Saul in response, behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, and I spared you, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may He deliver me out of all tribulation. We learn there already a number of chapters back in in 26, that Saul even knew that David regarded his own life as precious. But we see that evidenced here after Saul dies as well. Of course, twice David had the chance to kill his enemy who was bent on killing him. And yet he did not take, brothers and sisters, take note of this, David did not take the path of self-relief. 
self-relief. That's the temptation for all of us. David didn't do that. And again, I want to touch in when he entrusted himself to God and he did not take the path of self-relief, but instead he said, may God deliver me out of all my tribulation. He trusted God and God's timing to bring him out from underneath the oppression of Saul. So much so that even when God put his life in his hands twice, and his men were egging him on to kill Saul, he would not do it because he feared the Lord so much. That's a man after God's own heart. That's a man who's upward, and a woman who's upward when no one else is looking. That's someone whose conscience is driven upward toward God. And even when others are saying, come on, do it, it's all right. He or she says, no, I will not do it. And and David's an example of that here in this section. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, we see David's reaction to the Amalekite man who gave the final stroke to King Saul to kill him. Please understand, I just want to, this is a brief aside, but I want to hit it because I think it's important. People who attack Christianity will often say something that's not true, a lie really from the enemy, and say that Scripture often contradicts itself. Don't believe it. The difference in the transition from 1 Samuel chapter 31 to 2 Samuel 1 and the different accounts of Saul's death are an example sometimes that will be cited of a contradiction. I just The reason I point this out is because this is a great example of often how the enemy tries to twist things into eroding the confidence God's people have in God's Word through a lie. 1 Samuel 31 is an accurate account of Saul's death. If you think of a microscope back in high school, I remember the ones we had, we had like 10, and then we had like 30, and then we had the final one, which was 100. I always loved going to 100 to try to get the... I was a cell and molecular biology major at Westchester. I loved zooming in on the cells and seeing the minute details of God's creation of our lives. Think of it this way. 1 Samuel chapter 31 is at 10x. 2 Samuel 1 is at 40x. They're both true. They're both accurate accounts. But more detail is given in the account in 2 Samuel 1. Just because 1 Samuel chapter 31 didn't include the detail of the Amalekite assisting Saul in his suicide doesn't mean that account It's a contradiction to the other one. Do you understand? Very important because when people are saying there's contradictions in Scripture, I just want to tell you flat out, that's a lie. God's Word is true. It's perfectly pure, like silver refined in a furnace seven times. You can count on your Bible. Every word. Inerrant, infallible, perfect, authoritative, sufficient. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness through His Scriptures. And so just understand that detail. I couldn't resist. I had to just throw that in there because it's so important just for our own discipleship. And when you, you encounter someone saying a lie like that, just to understand, that's, that's an example that's easily rebuffed. The Philistines had wounded Saul badly and he had already fallen on his own sword to kill himself. Now he was asking for assisted suicide. 
from the Amalekite who did end up assisting him unto his death. David did justice upon the man who assisted Saul in his suicide, had him executed, because he did not fear in putting to death the Lord's anointed. David walked in the fear of God, and he regarded all life, but he regarded life, Saul's life, as precious. And you've got to understand, this man had been pursuing his life to death for four years. Think about that. Think about the, the greatest enemy you can imagine, and, and how we are supposed to regard their life as precious. You see an application here to us in our own lives. These verses certainly have relevance to us and to our entire generation today where there is much talk about euthanasia and assisted suicide. And suicide, is it ethical or not? Abortion, other issues related to human life. These are important for us to understand that the Scriptures teach that all human life is precious to God and of great value, treasured value. And we must walk in the fear of the Lord when it comes to topics like this. The logic the Amalekite used was Saul was in anguish, and I did an act of mercy to put him down. He thought he was going to get praised. And instead, he incurred the judgment of God on this day. And many people, when it comes to issues of life, use the argument that it's actually merciful to kill and murder. It's merciful to kill. Because you prevent future suffering and a lifetime of suffering in the case of abortion. And we must recognize that the logic of it's merciful to assist somebody in their suicide. It's merciful to act in these ways. we got to see David's response here and recognize that the Scriptures are teaching us a principle here. An authoritative principle with topics like this. We must as well, brothers and sisters, even of the lives of our enemies, regard their lives as precious and our own lives as precious. And even the lives, as I mentioned, of our enemies. Saul, in committing suicide, thought to spare himself humiliation by the Philistines. And to spare himself further pain by ending his own life. That's why he fell on his sword or his spear. And yet, as his life lingered in anguish on the mountainside in Gilboa, think about this. God mercifully gave him more time laying on the ground in blood. What do you think that time was mercifully given to him for? If he had repented of his sin in that time, God mercifully gives every second of our lives so that we'll respond to Him and worship Him. God mercifully extended Saul's life, and Saul, instead of seizing this opportunity to repent and to receive forgiveness from God, he sought a way to spare himself in his pride, humiliation and further pain. Oh, brothers and sisters, these things are understandable and we must sympathize and have compassion towards these types of things, but we also must recognize how God's truth sees it so that we take it to heart and walk in it ourselves. The Amalekite who assisted him unto death thought he was doing an act of mercy to Saul, but he did not fear. David says, you did not fear 
We need to walk. One of the things about being a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart is a fear of the Lord. You see it with the shield bearer. The shield bearer, Saul already had asked him, thrust me through with the sword and bring me down. And and he, he won't do it. There's a fear of God in that man. And you see the difference of character. Sometimes just in quick phrases in Scripture that if you just rush past it in your quiet times, you can just miss the rich application in all of God's Word. All of Scripture is God-breathed and useful to us as the church to feed on, feast on, apply, and grow to become more Christ-like. And I love it. David brought justice against this man, the Amalekite. And David also displayed how Saul's life was precious by tearing his clothes and weeping and fasting over Saul who wanted him dead. There's godliness there. Christ-like godliness. Even though Saul's death brought David freedom, he no longer had to flee as a fugitive. He could return to Judah. David wept over the death of his enemy. Brothers and sisters, may we be of that same spirit. God is always watching us. And it's not only our actions, it's our thoughts as well. I was meditating on this and I was just marveling at this. Saul's life was precious to David. So much so that David even spared him twice. Even though he was an enemy. And I couldn't help but ponder how precious was Jesus the Son's life to God the Father. And I couldn't help but think of this verse. God did not spare His only Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. How precious Jesus' life was and is to the Father. And yet, how deep must the Father's love be for us that He would send His only Son to die for us who are described before we were saved as God's enemies. We made ourselves His enemies through our sin. And brothers and sisters, I do want this to sink in as well to your soul this morning. How precious is your life to God? That He would love you so much to send His own Son, who we love more than anything, to die for you. Saul's life was spared. Jesus' life was not. Glory to God for His wonderful, amazing love and sacrifice. And I want to just highlight Isaiah 43, if you'll just flip to that with me really quickly. And I think it's going to be up for projection as well. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel. I love this verse, don't you? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Oh, take that to heart, brothers and sisters. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Listen to this. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. And why? Look at this. For because you are precious in my eyes. That's you, people of God. 
You are precious in my eyes. And then let this, let this go down deep into your heart this morning, my friend. And honored. And I love you. I give men in return for you. Peoples. In exchange for your life. Under the old covenant, the Lord says that as a token of His love, He would actually give nations like Egypt and Cush and Seba, other men in return for His people, His beloved covenant love people who He loves with a steadfast love. And the, under the old covenant, it was nations that He gave. Under the new covenant, He gives His only precious Son and spares Him not in order to ransom you and I for Himself. Glorious. Glorious. How precious God regards our lives. Don't you think for a second that your life is worthless or useless, my friend, or that God doesn't have a wonderful purpose or a plan in the midst of all the darkness you're facing right now. You are precious. Oh, beloved, you are precious in His eyes. And it's not me saying this. It is Isaiah 43, the Word of God. Hear it as from God Himself because you are precious in My eyes and honored and I love you. I spared not My only Son, but I gave Him up for you. You are treasured greatly. You are, as Deuteronomy 7 says, God's treasured possession and He loves you. Don't ever let Satan lie to you and tell you that God does not love you if you have repented of your sins and believed in Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, have the assurance this morning that He owns you as His child. And you do not need to fear the day of your death. Because death for the believer in Christ is merely the portal we step through to see Jesus our Lord face to face. And I can't wait for that day. Can you, beloved? I'm looking forward to it. David brought justice against this Amalekite and tore his clothes with weeping and fasting over Saul. It shows how much he regarded Saul's life as precious. Matthew Henry writes of this, The blow which opened David's way to the throne was given about the time he had been sorely distressed. So he's distressed in Ziklag. He is at his lowest point. And take note of this. He's at his lowest point, Matthew Henry saying, David, while God is providentially bringing deliverance to him in the north in a way that he doesn't even know about. That's how our God works. When you think you're at your lowest... They always say it's darkest before the dawn. You have no idea the way God's working right now in your life. You're, you're at your lowest point. You're in ziklag. Everything you feel has been taken away from you. And meanwhile, God is working your deliverance and you don't even know it's happening. Trust in the Lord, beloved. Know that He's got you in mind and your family in mind. He cares about you. You're precious in His eyes and He loves you. Friends, How would you respond to the one who killed your enemy? Would you rejoice and be glad that you finally got relief at last? Or would you carry out justice like 
David said. David displays a godly commitment to justice. Listen to this. Even when he personally benefits from the injustice that the Amalekite did. That's godliness. Saul's life was precious to David. David walked in the fear of the Lord. That's a man after God's own heart. Point two, Saul's death was painful to David. Saul's death was painful to David. We see weeping. We see fasting. We see godly lamentation. And you, you, you may remember, uh, brothers and sisters, the Scriptures, the many Scriptures that talk about how you react when your enemy stumbles and falls matters to God. I want to point a couple Scriptures out to you. Proverbs 24, 17 and 18. Listen, this is God's Word and His commands to us. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. And let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased. And turn away his anger from him. This admonition, this command from Scripture to not let your heart be glad when your enemy stumbles. I just love how God's Word goes into, it's not just an outward rejoicing. It's God's looking into your heart as your enemy stumbles. And my enemy stumbles. And He cares about our reaction to that. Do we regard their life as precious? Do we have a secret desire for vengeance? Oh, brothers and sisters, the Lord will see it and be displeased. And the fear of the Lord means that we care so much about not displeasing our God. That even in secret, when we know that our enemy has stumbled and fallen, we don't rejoice. We pray for them. We pray for those who persecute us. Love your enemies, Jesus said, and pray for those who persecute you. Is that us? Is that us? I see it in myself, but I want to grow. I'm convicted. Because I want to grow in this. Job says in Job 31, 29 and 30, if I have rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me or exalted when evil overtook him, and he says this, I have not let my mouth sin by asking for his life with a curse. He would not ask for the man's life with a curse. The person who hated him. He would not exult. Exulting happens inwardly in the heart. He doesn't exult when evil overtook the man who hated him. Brothers and sisters, you see this in the godly lamentation that David pours out before Israel. He tells all of Israel, I want you to learn this. He tells his tribe, Judah, I want you to learn this lament from verses 19 through 27, which is going to remember Saul, as well as Jonathan, my friend. He doesn't just honor Jonathan, he honors a man who has been hunting his life for four years to murder him. It's amazing. It's convicting if we probe down deep into it and allow it to trickle into our hearts. It, 
it helps us to shape what a Christ-like example David is here and why he's described as a man after God's own heart. He pours out his heart in lament before God. And he rises up and he communicates the good that stood out about Saul. He reminds Israel of the good that has come about for them because of Saul. No mention in this lament, no mention is made by David of the tragic spiritual descent of Saul. Nor of his evil obsession to destroy David. Again, this should be instructive to us. Applicable to us. We should look to apply it to our own souls. I heard one Christian once say, we should remember people for their best moments. Remember remember people for their best moments. You know what my sinful tendency is in the flesh? I can have a thousand goods done by someone. Someone attacks or sins against me. And very quickly, by nature, I can forget all the good and remember the evil that they did against me. Evil that's legitimate, but it can wipe out and erase all the good in my mind. David didn't do that. David remembered the good. And he remembered the good, not just privately, but publicly, before the people of Israel. That is the godly response to pain, loss, suffering, and grief. Godly lamentation. Remembering people for their best moments and remembering all the good that they did, even when they have done us real harm. There's a temptation to think that if we don't say all the harm they did against us, we're not being fully honest. And yet there's an example here. Because David chose to withhold the story about like, hey, let me slip this in here in this lament. The guy hunted me for four years and wanted to murder me. I just kind of, there's that. He doesn't do that. He says, oh, daughters of Jerusalem, weep and remember all the good Saul and Jonathan have done for you. Oh, it's easy to lament and weep over Jonathan, your friend, when he dies. But what about being able to love your enemies so much and praying for your persecutors so much that God will help them and enable them to repent that when you finally hear of their demise, you weep. Oh, brothers and sisters, may God make us these kinds of people. Do you understand how different and how countercultural this is if we can walk in this for the glory of God? It'll glorify Christ. It'll display the glory of Christ. Let us also learn with this godly lamentation that when we suffer loss, it is good to take time and to pour out our heart to God. It's good to take time to lament and to heal from what you've just suffered by way of loss. My wife Shannon has helped me with this so much. As you said, it's important to just take time to pause and reflect. And if somebody has hurt you or harmed you, it's, it's okay to go upward in lamentation before God and to weep and to let it breathe. Let it out. Or if you suffer grief and loss, you've lost a loved one, you've lost somebody very dear to you, or even if you've lost an enemy, to mark the moment. Don't bury it down deep and suppress it. 
let it breathe. Godly men weep. And they weep publicly. These warriors of Israel wept with each other. To, to, to be stoic isn't a sign of strength. It's a sign of weakness. We've got to let lamentation, which is upward, outward pouring of grief toward God in a way that honors God and also does honor to men and women as we speak about them. Hebrews 5, verse 7 says this, In the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverence. Our man of sorrows, Jesus Christ offered up prayers and supplications to God throughout His earthly life with loud cries and tears. Lamentation from our Lord over every single day while He walked this earth, seeing the effect of the fall and all the calamity that is brought on men. He weeps at Lazarus' tomb and just sees the effect of death. And He weeps in private to His Father in prayer with loud cries and tears. There's Pour it out to God, friend. Give it upward to God. Pour out your emotion, your affection, and your need for Him. It's glorifying to Him. And of course, look at His grief over Jonathan, His best friend, His faithful friend. There's lamentation. There's heartbreak upward to God expressing faith in Him and love. I had the honor of doing the funeral for one of my best men in my wedding when he died at age 26 of cancer. And I can tell you, I look back on that honor, even though I wept my way through it, talking about my friend Paul Dooley. He was 6'5", 310-pound offensive lineman for Westchester University. And I saw cancer ravage his body and take him down to a skeleton. And yet, I'll show you the picture in my office. I love to show it to all of you who come. My picture of Paul a week before he dies in hospice care, a skeleton, and he's smiling because he's got Jesus. And so when he died, I rejoiced that he was with the Lord, but I wept. And I'll go and I'll visit his gravestone still now years later and Tell my friend how I'm looking forward to being with him again in the new heavens and new earth. Let it breathe, brothers and sisters. Let Some of you haven't grieved in a while. You haven't grieved over the sin and the ungodliness that has affected your life and the death and the suffering that you've endured. Take all of your joy and take all of your sorrows upward in godly lamentation like David. And like our Lord Jesus. For it is good and pleasing to the Lord. And how kind of God. That we can take our deepest heart cries and emotions to Him. As our best friend. Our truest friend. And fellowship to Him. And we can lay ourselves bare before Him. And cry out prayers that we can't even put into words. With just groanings deep in our heart. Because we're in such agony in our soul. And feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit come upon us. What a God! What a God! Aren't you so glad that we have Him? (laughs) I'm so thankful.
Oh, brothers and sisters. How we respond to the misfortune of our enemies matters to God. Never revel in someone else's pain or misfortune. No matter how much they've wronged you. Have a posture of forgiveness in your heart to those who have hurt you. So that if they ever do come back to you and ask you for forgiveness, you're already there. Because you've already forgiven them in your heart. And finally, David waited on God's timing to become king. This affects me. This, this just affects me. Verses 1-4 through four in chapter 2. That's why I included it. And I, I'm just going to hit on it briefly, but I'm just going to say this. After it all plays out, and Saul and his sons are dead, there's no reason for a holdup for David to ascend to the throne. And yet, look at what he does first. He doesn't move in selfish ambition in his own will. He says, it says in the verse 1, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up? into any of the cities of Judah. And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. And Hebron's a little bit south of Jerusalem. So David went up there. And he brought his family. And verse 3 says, And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. So there's a, there's a passage of time implied here that takes place where David just goes and dwells in Judah. He doesn't grab the crown and say, hey, it's my time now. He doesn't self-anoint himself. He doesn't self-promote himself. What he does, and it's so moving. I love verse 4. It says, and he's already been anointed by the prophet Samuel. He could have carried an entitlement to the throne in his heart and said, hey, listen, Samuel's already anointed me, guys of Judah. I don't need the men of Judah to come. I've already gotten the prophet's anointing. So, final word there. No, he doesn't do that. Look at what he does in verse 4. The men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. I heard a godly Christian man once say, trust God to promote you. I love that phrase. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not be of the manipulative sort who maneuver and connive and through cunning seek to get their way through deceit. You be the hardest working man and woman you can be for the glory of God. Do it for His glory. Be a servant and walk in love towards the unbelievers and believers in your workplace and do your utmost to make your company prosper. And as others talk negatively about people in the office, you show yourself to be different and honor Christ and honor others and, and shine like a light for Christ and trust that the Lord in His due time will promote you if it's His will. And if it's not His will, you're at peace. Because guess what? you got Jesus. And you got more riches coming to you throughout eternity in heaven that are unmatched. James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. You know, for 15 years, David waited for promise to become reality. For 15 years, he had to wait on the Lord. 
through moments of great glory, killing Goliath when no one else would step up. Songs were sung about him. And yet he also knew the hardship of wandering in exile as a fugitive, living without a home in flight from King Saul. He knew the loving and pleasant friendship of Jonathan and also the painful loss of him when he died in battle. David waited long for the promise of becoming king to become reality. What helped him was waiting on God in faith. Keeping his eyes on Christ, on the Lord. And when many were rising up against him, crying out to the Lord, knowing that God would answer him, God would guide him, and God would sustain him. I love chapter 2, verse 1, and let it be that, brothers and sisters, every single day of our lives, before we go to try to get comfort or counsel or guidance from men, let us get on our knees and go upward and get our counsel and guidance and comfort from God. This is an area where I'm so convicted and I need to grow, and so I ask you to pray for me. I need to grow in this greatly, but I'm moved by David's example, the way he goes to inquire of the Lord and strengthen himself in God so that he can rise up and be a man after God's own heart who glorifies the Lord. How wonderful to see King David finally ascend to the throne of the tribe of Judah. And I just want to close with this thought. This thought how much more, how much more wonderful will it be for all of us to see the lion of the tribe of Judah seated on his throne as we will see him in the new heavens and new earth, in the new Jerusalem, seated on his throne, so radiant in splendor that there's no need for a temple in that city because Jesus is the lamp and the light. How awesome is that day going to be when we bow down before Him and confess that He is Lord? There's no one like Him, brothers and sisters, who died and rose again to save us from our sins, who ascended and sat down on His throne, How much more wonderful is it going to be to see Him with our own eyes and to look into those loving eyes and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I cannot wait to enjoy His presence with you and revel in His rule and savor the sweet victory which Christ has won forever. Let us, like David, keep our eyes on the Lord with steadfast faith as we wait for the promise of Christ's return to become reality. Let us take heart that God has promised it and it will become reality and every sorrow and every tear will be wiped away and forever gone behind your back Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. You will laugh. Let's pray. Worship team, if you can return. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy in our lives. 
we're so blown away by the way that You've loved us. Help us, Almighty God, to see the example set forth for us, for us in Scripture here and to be reminded of how You are the ultimate example of regarding Your enemies' lives as precious. We were once Your enemy, and yet You regarded our life so precious that You gave up Your only Son, Father, so that You could own us as Your child. How can we thank You enough, Father, for loving us and regarding us sinners as precious in Your eyes and saying, because You're precious in my eyes and honored and I love You, I give my Son in exchange for Your life. How can we thank You enough for sending Jesus to suffer on the cross in our place so that we might be delivered from the wrath of God? We might be saved from it and enjoy You forever. We're so thankful for what You've done. And we worship You now. For You indeed are awesome. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand, church, and worship Him. Lord, not a single one of us deserves to be here. been prideful towards you, Lord. We've been prideful toward one another. We have rejoiced over the demise of our enemies. We have rejoiced over our enemies getting what we think they deserved. Lord, we come before you humbly this morning and we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for you to help us to be men and women after God's own heart as CB has explained to us from the life of David David had every reason to rejoice over the death of his enemy, and yet he regarded that life as precious. Lord, help us to regard the lives around us as precious and to preach the gospel to them. Lord, as we go from this place, as this verse has just said, Lord, we are in the valley of decision. Every time we are faced with a temptation, there we are in the valley of decision. We have a choice to make whether to sin or whether to walk away from sin and choose you. Lord, help us to choose you more and more often as we go on in our lives, Lord. Let this week, let this month, let this year be a time when we become more and more godly, when we lay aside our sinful tendencies more and more often, Lord God. 
mortify the sins and the temptations that come our way, Lord. Help us to respond to your Holy Spirit convicting us and guiding us, Lord. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. And that is my prayer for these brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that as we go, that we would every moment repent of our private dispositions. And that we would embrace the grace that you've given us, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. And may the face of the Lord shine upon you.